Welcome to the pulpit ministry of Christ Community Church in South Florida, aiming to make, mature, and multiply disciples by preaching and teaching God's Word based on the sufficiency of Scripture. And now, let's join our preacher for the message. We have to actually cover seven verses. I got a lot to cover in, a, in this amount of time. And the last time I preached, I got in trouble because I went too long. I got the, you went too long. Um, so here, in, let's start off with the strong because we have this passage broken up into different sections, seven sections. And this one is called the strong. Who are they? Uh, the dunatas, those who have the strength, who have the power. The strong is in soul to bear calamities and trials with fortitude and patience, firm in conviction and faith. You may recognize this from Galatians, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, the pneumaticos, those walking in the spirit, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch for yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Who are the strong? Who are the strong among us? All of us at different times and in different aspects of our lives, as we walk with Christ and are walking in the spirit, find ourselves in either two places, the strong or the weak. And I'm hoping that as we've been going through this in Romans 14, that you have seen yourself on either side of that. And some things you are strong and in some things you are weak. In some things I am strong and in some things I am weak. This strength is directly connected to our abiding in Jesus. This, this strong that they're talking about, those who are strong are those who are abiding in Jesus, who are being filled by the Spirit, who are spiritual, who are walking by the Spirit. Yes, some are further along and seem to be walking strongly in the Spirit most of the time. Some are younger in their faith and they're kind of toddling uh, through their way. And then there's plenty of us in between those two spectrums and and again, we all kind of ebb and flow through that. We've seen in Romans 14 that the strong love, the strong do not judge, the strong do not cause another to stumble, the strong are others focused, the strong desire to build up and not tear down. So if you want to know who the strong are, that's what it is. That's the definition. Those who are, who are actually doing what we've been reading about in um, Romans 14, because the moment that you judge, the moment that you lack love, you have now lost your strength. You've become weak. So it says here, we who are strong have an obligation, an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. The strong have an obligation like being obligated to pay a debt. We are obligated. We are bound. It is the duty of the strong. When you are strong, it's not for your benefit. When you're standing strong, it's not for your benefit. Sometimes in our culture, in this Christian culture that we live in America, we become very me-focused, even in our Christianity. It's all over the culture, so it's easy for it to seep in among us as if our Christianity was about us and about me and my walk with the Lord. But that is not biblical Christianity. 
Biblical Christianity and Jesus is about others. To love God and love people, right? Our, the motto of our church, the two greatest commandments, everything else hangs on to love the Lord your God, right? With all your heart, soul, and strength and mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. So the strong are obligated. When you are strong, it is God's strength being manifested in you. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do? Let me say that again. For apart from me, you can do? So even being strong, you can't do that. We're not talking about strength. Strap them up and get strong. We're talking about abiding in the Lord. Those who are abiding, who are walking with the Lord, those are the strong. They're abiding in him because without him, we can do nothing. It is not our doing. This strength is not our doing. Though we have to mind it, and we have to be mindful to focus on abiding in the Lord. Since we have been given strength, we have not earned. We ought to dispense it. We are obligated to dispense it, as Jesus says to, as stewards of, of the master. For to whom much is given, much is required. For to whom much is given, much is required. I was talking with a brother uh, this past week and discussing with him how we are obligated. And we didn't use that word, but we are obligated. I am obligated that at age 18, I entered a place which we would later maybe consider a cult, but I learned a lot of Bible. It was a Christian organization, but it had a very heavy hand in its leadership. And let's say there was some spiritual abuse. But the scripture that was imparted to me was Moody Bible Institute grade whatever the pastor was learning, we were learning. It was entrusted to me at age 18 and 19. You who are young in this room, who are not growing up in kids' church anymore, but you are hearing doctrine and truth and foundational truth, you are obligated. You are obligated to use what's been given to you, to dispense it. Obliga I feel obligated because of what was given to me. And I'm telling you, I didn't even think about that till right now. Young people, you are obligated. You are eating meat and potatoes every week, every meeting in this church. No soft stuff here, no, no milk, no cereal no more. So young people, you are obligated. My brothers and sisters, you are obligated. You are obligated because you have been given much. So much is required of you. Oh man, we love CCC. It's a Bible preaching church. Guess what? You are obligated because you have received much. What do we have an obligation to do? It says to bear with the failings of the weak. I was listening to J-Mag, John MacArthur, and he was talking about how this isn't, oh, man, we got to bear with this guy. No, no, this is bear, like, like the father did on that track. He came and he, he bore his son. He took the weight of his son on his shoulder. He came and gave him a shoulder and carried, helped carry his weight on the track. I would say he probably should have been on the other side, on the hurt leg, but that's okay. He was there bearing his son's weight. His son couldn't make it to the finish line. He needed Someone to come alongside and bear the weight. That word, bastazo, 
And I've, you know, in the past, this word has come up, bastazo. In Spanish, we have a word, baston. That means a crutch. That man was a crutch for his, for his son. We are to be crutches. We are supposed to bear the weight of someone else and their failing. Not put up with. That's not this bear. We don't put up. We bear up. His father did this. The, the same word that we have in Galatians that we just read as well, in Galatians 6, that is there, bastazo, to bear up. So we have an obligation to bear up the failings of, of the weak. And secondly, we have an obligation not to please ourselves. And we've been talking about food and drink and your rights and your freedoms and liberty and how all of that is guided by love. And that those who are strong, if you consider yourself strong, you're, you're listening to the messages that we've been reading through 14, three messages in that one chapter, and you classified yourself as a stronger brother, you're obligated. You're obligated not to please yourself. I'm obligated not to please myself. Our times of strength are not for us. Like I said earlier, our times of strength, strength is for the benefit of others. This is the very mind of Christ who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Our strength is spiritual and not physical. Why use it to bring physical pleasure for ourselves rather than to build up the body of Christ? Think about how crazy that is, that we would use our spiritual strength that we have, not to, to, to realize and to know there's a younger brother, he's struggling with some things that he really shouldn't be struggling with. Those are kind of elementary things. I've grown past that. I've come to understand what those things, I've come to understand that I can eat anything I want to eat. I can drink whatever I want to drink. I've come to understand that. But imagine that we would take the spiritual strength that God has given us to destroy and not bear up the weaker because of a physical desire or pleasure to fulfill. Like eating something, you know, in front of a brother that would cause him to slumber, or whatever it might be, your pleasure, whatever is going to, that you have the freedom to do, the liberty to do in Christ, that you would take that liberty in this physical realm and injure your brother when you've been spiritually given the power to overcome and to understand it. We have been made strong and not to please ourselves. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let us be, let us uh, each, let each of us please his neighbor. It says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. It is useful. It is good to build up one another, to bear that load. It brings joy. It is right. It is excellent. When you use your strength for the sake of others' good, it is sweeter and more delicious than any food or drink. Those brothers and sisters right now in, in Cuba, they're experiencing what is good. They're experiencing what is good as they have ministered already this week and they have seen fruit born of it and they have um, put themselves aside for the sake of others. They have sacrificed and it is good, it is sweeter. That time together is sweeter. Our time together is sweeter. When we're together with brothers, you know, sometimes you wonder if this thing could just last for hours and hours to be with the brothers and to encourage each other and feel the sweetness of caring for one another. 
It is our obligation to build him up. In Romans 14, it says, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. It also says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Let us not use our strength to rip down and to destroy the church, the body of Christ, our brothers and sisters. The world, their flesh, and the devil are enough to contend with on a daily basis. Let us not knock their feet out from beneath them. Let us strengthen the ground that they are standing on. Remember, one day, that track star that you saw, young, although he had a torn hamstring, muscular, his father, overweight, one day, he's going to be caring for his father. One day, his father might not be able to wipe his mouth or feed himself, and one day, he will bear up his father. So we reap what we sow. We bear up, we build up, because at one point, we will need the bearing up and the building up. Amen? All of us go through those times. All of us have need of one another to build ourselves a mutual upbuilding. It's not always going to be that the dad's going to come and rescue the son. There's going to be days when the son, who is weaker, is going to come and rescue the dad and build him up. Point number two, the strongest. It says in verse three, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So here we have Paul. He's saying, bear, with, bear up one another's failings. Bear with the weak. Don't please yourselves. And, and of course, who does he give us as the example? Christ. For Christ did not please himself. Are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Christ? Then here is to the answer to your question. Why am I obligated? Why ought I to bear with the failings of the weak? The answer is Christ. Christ did not please himself. He came to serve and not be served. Matthew 20, if you would turn there in your Bibles in Matthew, Matthew chapter 20, we'll begin in verse 20. If you turn in your Bibles to Matthew 20, verse 20. Man, I'm missing my amen corner, Denora, over there. I got to tell you. It says in verse 20, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her, with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something, and he said to her, What do you want? She said, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand, at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the 10 heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers, we're here, here's, here's strong and weak going down right, on, right in front of your eyes. But Jesus called, them and said, uh, called to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave 
even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is our example. And Brother Frank mentioned it, kneeling down to wash the apostles' feet. Because we've heard it so many times, we lose the magnitude of God coming in the flesh and lowering himself to this level in order to build us back up. Jesus did not come to please himself. He came not to be served, but to serve. It says that the reproaches fell on him, and this is Psalm 69, verse 9, where this comes from. He's quoting Psalm 69, verse 9, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And this is the reproaches of the God-haters, the reproaches of those who hate God, who hate his ways, those who are opposed to God, they fell upon the Lord. I was... uh, I was thinking about this through a sermon I heard, the, I heard the other day. Imagine what you feel like when someone, you find out someone has been talking about you or someone calls you a name, calls you, uh, uh, makes fun of you, belittles you publicly, how that makes you feel, how that makes you angry, how you want to lash out. And here, the Lord is on the cross. He's been whipped. He's bleeding. He has a crown of thorns. He's nailed to a cross. He can barely breathe. And yet, there are people there reproaching him, mocking him, making fun of him, making fun of God's plan of salvation, belittling the Savior in the midst of his greatest suffering. Imagine that people are doing that to you, you are suffering, you're bleeding out in front of somebody and they're mocking you. The reproaches fell upon him. The scorn, the disgrace, the disapproval of man toward God fell upon him and Jesus bore them. He carried the weight of them on the cross. He is the picture, Jesus bore all of our hatred, because it's easy to think about those people, the mockers, going by. We are the mockers. We are the ones who are casting reproach, save God who rescued us from our sin. He gave us the example of what to do with strength. He provides us with. He used it to please the Father. He used it to do good. He used it to build up. The Lord was busy about that work, about doing what pleases the Father. So it says, the reproaches, um, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And verse 4, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction and that through endurance and through incur- the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So we have the strong, we have the strongest, and then we have the manual for being strong, right here. Here's the manual for being strong, the scriptures. The word gives us instruction. It tells you what your exercise plan is. It tells you what to do to be strong. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, follows the hall of faith in Hebrews, in, in Hebrews 12. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, come on, let's run this race. He's saying, look to the past, look to the Old Testament, look to the saints from before, look to the scripture, and you will find instruction there. This is a great passage for us as New Testament believers not to discredit or diminish the Old Testament or the First Testament. Because Paul is saying, look to it. Look back for encouragement. Look back for strength. Look back for instruction. How does Bernie say this? We need to eat. We need to eat Bible. The Old Testament should, um, has, has, is part of this scripture that he's calling us back to look to, to eat Bible. Brother John brought up Ezekiel, and we brought up, and uh, Brother um, Frank brought up John, the Bible reading plan. The memory verse, all these things are not just fun things to do. These are not just Christian things to do. This is eating Bible, meditating on God's word so that it can instruct us, so that it can teach us, so that it can give us the encouragement that we need. Through the encouragement of the scriptures, um, that Hebrews 12, verse 2, where, you know, putting our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. That has become my go-to verse. When I wake up in the morning and I wake up with all the weight of the world and the crazy cycle in your head, I don't know, sometimes you, we've talked about this before, you wake up in the morning and and all your thoughts are, woo, cuckoo, the world's coming to an end, this is wrong, this is that, the bills are due, you know, uh, President Trump and, you know, Twitter and the impeachment, or whatever it is, you wake up in the morning and, and those thoughts come crashing in and, and maybe you feel overwhelmed by your work, by your family, by your responsibilities, you're feeling overwhelmed. And right after he tells us to run the race well, he says to look to Jesus. And that verse, every time I, I go to that verse and I'll just meditate on it and remember my Lord on the cross, enduring for the joy set before him. And then I just begin to meditate on Jesus. And guess what? Those things begin to diminish. That song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, is for real. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim. It's true if we focus on him. Do you want consolation? Do you want comfort, solace, and refreshment? Eat Bible. It is in there. Amen? So this is our manual for, going st for, for our strength. The next is the source of our strength. And this is a beautiful, you know, kind of we talk about the names of God. I never hear anybody mention this. May the God of endurance and encouragement... That's the God that we serve. That is the God who has saved us, the God of endurance and encouragement. You know, we hear about Jehovah, Rapha, Jehovah, Nisi. I mean, this is the God of endurance and encouragement. If you need endurance and encouragement, if you're feeling run down, if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling anxious, may the God of endurance and encouragement. Turn to him. He is the source of our strength. 
It is God who endures forever. It is his love who endures forever. It is God who gives courage to men. His endurance, his endurance, his encouragement is inexhaustible. He is the source of this encouragement, this endurance. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in one accord, I'm sorry, in accord with Christ Jesus. We need to be abiding in the Lord. And, and, and Paul's kind of like, this is kind of offering it like a prayer or like a blessing to give to the, to the Romans. May the God of endurance and encouragement, this is my prayer for you. This is, this is really what the strong does. Paul is being the strong. He's praying for them. He's calling out this blessing for them. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant to you to live in such harmony. That brings us to the purpose of our strength. And we've talked about the fact that we're obligated, that we look to the Lord, that we find it in his word, how to be strong, and that ultimately the source is our God. And what is its purpose? That he would grant you to live in harmony with one another in accord with Christ, like Jesus, and together that you may with one voice glorify God and Father, and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. To live in harmony, phroneo, to be of the same mind and to live in harmony because of it. But to what degree does he want us to be in harmony? And he turns again and he points to Jesus. I want you to be like Jesus Christ. This is, this is to the degree to which we are supposed to live in harmony. Um, some of the translations read the harmony a little bit differently. Give me, a trans, give me one of your translations out there. How does that verse read? Anybody else got something beside the ESV? One heart. One mind, one heart. Okay. ESV says harmony, and it's in there to live together in such harmony. That the strong, we're responsible to bring and bear up the load of those who are weak so that we can live in harmony. Like-mindedness. King James, like-mindedness. Good old King James. ESV is the only one that does harmony. But it is appropriate in the sense that Paul knows that he's talking to a church that has different people in it, different people types, different people from different backgrounds in it. He has the Jewish people and the Gentile people coming together in the church, and he's calling them to live in harmony. We have Hispanic people. We have non-Hispanic people. We have American people. We have Haitian people. We have Jamaican. We have a mixture of cultures, Caribbean cultures, American culture. We have different upbringings. We have people who've grown up in an in a, uh, intact family. We have people who have grown up uh, in a divorced family. We have people who have come back from all kinds of different backgrounds. And God's desire is to bring that into harmony by bearing 
up each other and strengthening and building up one another to make this beautiful choir sing. In accord with Christ Jesus, he's calling us to Christ-likeness. God's purpose has not changed. Conformity to Christ is his aim for us. He said it in the scripture for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be, yeah, let's say it again. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And we've talked about this conformity before. It's like having a mold and you get some Play-Doh, you get some clay, and you mash it in there. And you mash it in there till it takes the form of the mold. But there's all this stuff that's getting squished out on the outside. What remains is that which has been conformed to the image. But God is asking us to squish out the rest of the stuff that's got to go. What's got to die in you and me. Our selfishness, our wanting to please ourselves, squish it out. Be conformed to the image of Christ. It hasn't changed. It's the same message that Paul is calling them to from the beginning. He's out. He's actually, what we're seeing here is the outworking of what he said. He told us, and now he's like, here's how we do this thing. So when we take our liberty and we, we, we take our rights and we exalt them, we choose not to scrape off that. We choose to keep it and be less conformed to Christ. Could you imagine what this world would be like, let alone our church, if we were more Christ-like? If when you walk down the streets and when uh, you interact in this world, people would be like Christ, seeking to serve others, love others, sacrifice ourselves for others. If we could get, what kind of glory would that be? What kind of world would that be? If we would pursue Christ-likeness, even what kind of church can we be if we all pursue Christ-likeness? If we pursue the betterment of each other and not ourselves, if we could get our minds off of ourselves and onto others, if we could give, have eyes to see who is it that's weak, who is it that's hurting, how can I come alongside and put my shoulder underneath and bear him up? It would be harmonious. It would be glorious. God has made it possible. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, listen to those words, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind of being harmonious, having the same love, being in full accord, huh, sounds like Romans, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Oh, 
if we could get a hold of that. If we could get a hold of that. God help us to get our eyes off of ourselves if we could get a hold of that glory that was just read there from Philippians. Here is the in accord with Christ part. You want to know what it means to be in accord with Christ? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? I mean, y'all in Christ Jesus? I mean, I am in Christ Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours already. It's yours in Christ Jesus, not in you. In Christ, it's yours right now. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Who? What kind of rights do we have? My rights? I have my rights? I have my liberty? That is not the mind of Christ. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant washing feet when he should be, when everybody should be falling at their feet, at his feet, worshiping him. He's washing feet, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. On a cross, not a beheading. Not the, you know, some other means of not speared to death, not something quick on the cross, suffering, suffering for sin. If I have to serve that person, I think I'm going to die. Yes. Yes, you are going to have to die. Not physically, but to yourself. Not physically, but to yourself. Yes. Serving requires that we die, that we surrender ourselves. But don't miss it. It is yours in Christ Jesus already. The question is, will we do it? Will we abide in Christ? Will we look to him and stop looking to ourselves? And what's the reason? That together you may with one voice glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that you can glorify God. First, he talks about this harmony, but this is, this is unison. Now we're singing in unison, one voice, one note, everybody on it together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. If I sing that by myself, it's one thing. But when we all sing that together, sing it with me. Praise God from whom. No, come on. You guys can do that better. <laughs> Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It's different when we all sing together. 
When, I don't know if you all were in a choir. Anybody else have ever been here in a choir? Choir in school, choir, put your hands up, choir singing people. Okay, yeah, yeah. When you're reading a piece of sheet music in a choir, I mean, in a choir you have sopranos, altos, tenors, and basses. You have four parts or a mixture of that. You have different voices. That's the harmony part. But typically, in a lot of songs, at some point in the song, the harmony will end, and the, and the music will say, unison. Everybody stop and sing the same note together. And when you hear a choir do that, it booms. It's glorious because it is unified. And God is saying that together, you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's calling us to be a choir, to give him glory. But we have to do that by dying to ourselves. Let me tell you, when you're in choir, there are some people who can't sing. When you're in choir, there's some people who are tone deaf. Did you know that? Not everybody in the choir can sing. That's why they're in the choir. Yeah, in the choir... Not everybody has perfect pitch and it's going to be up front and going to be the soloist. No, 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 it's not that way at all. There are people, there are guys I used to have to stand next to and belt the entire time into his ear so that he would tune himself to us because he was off. Not everybody in the choir is singing perfect pitch. The choir director might find that, but it takes ones who can hear a little bit better and who have a stronger voice to carry the other ones who maybe don't have a super strong, but their voice now is with mine and now they've amplified mine by that degree. And then this voice over here amplifies it by that degree and together we have a large voice together. God is calling us to glorify him with one voice and it takes the strong coming alongside the weak. One day you're gonna be the weak and somebody's gonna come alongside you and help you sing the glory of God. When you're going through your thing, when you're going through cancer, when you're going through your disease, when you can't pay the rent, somebody's going to come up and give you the bearing up. But he's calling us all to be strong. So the last one is the application or the using of this strength. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. When you imagine that something as simple as welcoming a weaker brother, taking someone in, bearing up someone's load, imagine that that simple act glorifies God. This is the reason why we apply it, because you have opportunity. You've been saved to glorify God. You want to glorify God. I know it's your desire. It's our desire as believers to bring glory to God. We want to see his glory. We want to, to manifest his glory. And he is saying here, therefore, welcome one another as Christ. Do it like Jesus did. He welcomed you. He welcomed you and me. He welcomed dirty old me. With my dirty old sin, he welcomed me. How can I not welcome someone else who has already been welcomed by him? If Jesus welcomed them, who am I not to welcome them? Not to bear them up. If Jesus bore their sin on the cross, what is it costing me to bear up their weakness now, to bear with their frailty to come alongside them, to be like Jesus to them. 
for the glory of God. By this, Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for, oh man, you guys are asleep. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for, yeah, for one another. You, you want to share the gospel? You want to preach the gospel? Jesus said, this is it. You want to be known as a Christ follower? Love one another. This is how they're going to know. By this, they will know that you are my disciples. And let me say something. If you're new to the faith, there's someone who's newer than you who needs some bearing up as well. There's always someone coming into the family who's younger, who needs some bearing up. There's someone always who's feeling weaker, who's in a weaker place. Accept or receive one another for the glory of God. The video that we watched couldn't really capture it all, and that was two minutes, 35 seconds long. But when that, when that guy crossed the line with his father, 65,000 people were standing and shouting and screaming with one voice. The loser, the loser got the biggest crowd. 65,000 people in Barcelona stood up to shout because they had seen the glory. They had seen someone humble himself, bear someone up, and they couldn't help but respond. That's what it means. He will, they will know that you are my disciples. When they see that, when the lost see people bearing each other up, they will shout for glory. They will recognize the power of that. So that, that gentleman, that young guy crossed the finish line, leg destroyed, never going to run away again. His video got played more than anybody else who came first, second, third in that race. He's known around the world for that, right? 65,000 people shouted, glory. Wow. That's powerful. The father came down from the stand, found his son, carried his across the finish. That's crazy. That's amazing. You see it. I hope that you were moved by it. I'm moved by it every time because it is glorious. It is Christ-like to bear one another's burdens. I don't know if they're saved. I would say even when you see someone bearing up somebody, that's a beautiful thing. It's, that's being like Christ, like being like God. So, Let's not make this bearing up of one another's weaknesses something negative. It is a beautiful thing. It is a glorious thing. It is something we should be searching out for amongst ourselves. Week by week, when you come here and you see your brothers and sisters and you go and you have your snacks and you're talking and you're looking around, there are people who are weak. They're having a weak week. <laughs> they're having a weak week. You know what I'm saying? They're having a rough time. And they need some encouragement. They need some endurance to come from you to build them up, to bear it up. Don't miss the opportunity for glory to God. This, you know, the worship, that's, 
That's one aspect of worship, singing music and lifting our hands and clapping. and praying. This is glorious. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord. Jesus, you have called us to great things. Great things that require us, Lord, to lose ourselves. Great things that we can't do without you, Lord. Oh, Father, that our church would be glorious in your sight. That we would make much of you, Lord, that others would see us and know that we love one another. Father, help us, Lord. To love one another, Lord, as you have loved us. I thank you, Lord, for our church. I thank you for my brothers and sisters, Lord. Thank you for the ways that they have loved on me throughout the years and have helped us to bear our burdens, Lord. I praise you, God, for them. Praise you, Lord, for our church and give you thanks, Lord. Help us to be more like you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ Community Church is a God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, and Bible-centered body of believers who love God and love people by making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information on us and to learn how to give towards our media ministry, please go to our website at www.christcomchurch.org. That's christcomchurch.org. And look for the Giving tab at the top of the homepage.